Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who is kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing Chapter 8, the Quidditch World Cup. We have Jen here with us today. Hi guys. Uh, Before we get into the episode, uh, we record these a little bit ahead of time, so we haven't had time to kind of acknowledge the passing that was in the Harry Potter world with Robbie Coltrane, and we just wanted to kind of acknowledge that. And uh, for me... You know, you, you hear a lot of back and forth on the movies and were they good, were they not, what issues did they have with the books and so forth. But I thought Robbie Coltrane was a haggard personified in every positive way that you can think of. He was, you know, warm, uh, comforting, hilarious, uh, that gentle giant that you view Haggard as. Uh, obviously, you've probably seen, everybody listening has probably seen on Twitter or in the news all of the just outpouring of comments that the other actors have given and uh, I know the three uh, you know Rupert Emma and Daniel all said how much he helped them get into the acting world he's obviously a very established actor as most of the adults (laughs) were in that in those movies he was in World is Not Enough Golden Eye is probably what he's most recognizable from in other movies outside of the UK he was in a ton of UK stuff um, but obviously those James Bond movies were pretty big. Also, I literally just looked this up minutes before we started. But he was also the voice of Lord Dingwall in Brave, which just completely blows my mind. That's awesome. So I have really fond memories of Robbie Coltrane as Hagrid. And obviously, if you'd watched the reunion special, you know, his comments on, uh, you know, he might not be around in 50 years, but his character of Hagrid will be. Uh, such a poignant statement from him and obviously it's appeared on like pretty much every Harry Potter tribute to him yep. um, great I, I loved watching Robbie Coltrane as Hagrid it was really nice to see a lot of the, the heartfelt tributes that the cast had and the photos that they posted and it's always really nice to see to hear that an actor who has such a larger than life screen presence and who portrays someone who's happy and jolly all the time is indeed a good person mm-hmm. and makes a good impact on others and is just universally it seems loved by the Harry Potter cast so that was that was a nice thing to hear in a sad time yeah I think uh, I saw a tribute to him from a movie critic and um, the movie critic was talking about how he has possibly one of the most iconic lines in any <laughs> fantasy series ever yes from Sorcerer's Stone with you're a wizard Harry is and that's just going to be forever yeah. one of the most iconic lines so yeah. um, he has really a cool. place in pop culture history absolutely absolutely so uh, somber note to start but uh, we do have a really cool chapter to talk about with the Quidditch World Cup it's finally here we've been kind of leading up to it for several chapters now uh, and sometimes not the most exciting way but we're here now 
And I had to have you on for this because our in-depth, yeah. I think it was Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw discussion yeah. and our in-depth discussions yeah. on Quidditch. Uh, I couldn't pass up having you on for this uh, this chapter. So And all of our sports talk in general. It seemed very... Fitting. All of the off-air sports stuff, yes. which I'm sure we'll also talk about off the air tonight, but, you know, we'll get there. So this chapter essentially takes place at the World Cup. We walk up on the stadium, we get impressions of the stadium from the Weasleys, from Harry. We get up to Arthur's seats, which we can talk about in a second, because I have some thoughts on that. Oh, I have some thoughts on that. We meet a couple of new characters in this chapter. Uh, We're introduced to Winky, we're introduced to Narcissa. Uh, We um, are introduced to the Bulgarian Minister (laughs) of Magic, which is great. We have a mascot performance, which... I want to talk about because it's awesome. Number one. Number two, I have, we finally get my Quidditch breakdown. (laughs) And my Quidditch breakdown has a large part uh, to do with mascots. So I I can't wait to talk about the mascot performances. Uh, And then we have, of course, the actual 422nd Quidditch World Cup. So um, let's let's just go back to the Arthur seat thing. We, We come up on this massive stadium which walls are made of... My thought on that is that's very... Um... Ostentatious. I was actually going to say that, and then my <laughs> mind switched over to ornate, too, but, like, in a pretentious way. Like, yeah. it's a, it's, that's kind of, that's bold, you know, that's... That's you, Ludo Bagman. That is Ludo Bagman, I, I will give you that. But it, it also kind of, you know, given what we know about the wizarding world and the amount of inequality that kind of exists in it, it feels a little bit... Part of it is Ludo Bagman himself. But I think also you're welcoming the world to Britain. You do want to put your best You do want to show off a little bit and be like, hey, we're just as big and bold and as great as everywhere else. Yeah. Um, It's all of the above, I think. (laughs) It's fair. Um, So speaking of like showing off and having... Uh, a, a great time. You have Arthur come up to the, get, uh, the ticket gate, and the person there says, "Oh, he has. You have prime seats. You have great seats." So, uh, there's been some question on how good are Arthur's seats. In the movie, you sort of see him going up to like literally the rafters, which I also have a point on. Okay. But this box is set up as high as you could possibly go within the stadium, right? Yeah. But it's a box seat. It's like a nice plush box seat. Yeah. Like you'd find in any stadium in the world. Yeah. Okay, you seem unconvinced. I, okay, I don't think box seats are all that great. Ooh, hot take. Hot take. I don't think box seats are all that great. Only caveat to that that I would say is they are flying. As long as his box seats are relatively level with the playing that's going on, then I think that they're good seats. But I think if they're anything, like if it's a baseball game and I'm, and I'm on the 300s, I'm on the mid-level, mm-hmm. and I'm looking down, I have a good view of the field, but I'm not going to see some of the up-close action that I could get if I'm on the, on the lower level. So I think if the, if the box that he's going to, even if it is nosebleeds, whatever, if it's on the playing, on the level of where they're playing at, then they're good. And you, you hinted at it a little bit there was when people think of Arthur's seats... Yeah. being at, quote-unquote, the nosebleeds, and they have to walk all the way up there. And then you get the movie, which just puts them literally on the top ring of the stadium. Yeah. And people are like, oh, those are terrible seats. And I'm thinking, the athletes are flying. 
Yeah. They're not at ground. Now, if this was ground level, yeah. problems. Yeah. But they're up in your presumed, like the goalposts are 50 feet high. Yeah. Like it's up You're there. You're going to have to be up yeah. in order to see. Now, the other thing though, and this might just be personal preference because maybe there are a lot of people who like sitting midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in this specific scenario that the best seats might be nosebleed if that's where they're flying at yep. but they would be on the um the side wherever ireland is scoring i don't think it would be i don't think i don't know the midfield is your play i mean i get why midfield is the midfield play, is a quote-unquote stereotypical but yeah. i tend to i think i find goal and seats more intriguing okay i guess um and i'm basing that just on hockey for hockey that works well because you end up getting two-thirds of the game at your end presumably right. for others you might miss half of the game because it happens at the other end right. of the right well and that's where that's why i'm saying like the specific like knowing what we know about the ireland team and the bulgarian right. team sure it i think that that I, i'm folks probably... this is why we had jen on for this because yeah. we get the in-depth sports breakdown <laughs> let me compare it to all of the sports yep. that i've been to um no, I get you. I, it, this 50-yard line thing is just stereotypical. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the most, mm-hmm. uh, uh, not iconic, but most like recognized as like an equal view of the field. So you had your hot take on box seats. Yes. I have a hot take on Arthur for just a second. Okay. I have one more question about sure. Quidditch before. Go for it. Okay. Go for it. Do they ever mention, do they switch sides? Is there ever, it's like, no, I don't remember I don't believe so. ever mentioned. Okay. No, I don't believe there's a halftime. Right. I don't believe there's, there's no, no. They division. do. All I know is that obviously some of these games can go on for quite a long time. Yeah. And I do think they stop matches. We saw them stop a match for an injury here. Yes. Which I found was interesting. I also have thoughts on that, but later. As do I. <laughs> Shocking, given yeah. my profession. But uh, so they had a stoppage for an injury. I think if it goes on to a certain length of time, they'll stop it for several hours so the players can just sleep. And then come back and they restart it from wherever. Okay. Uh, so they do have stoppages, just not like a quarter, half time, whatever, like okay. we're used to. Um, does that answer your question? Isn't that, so that's more like. But they, uh, they don't switch sides. Is, okay. That's answers right. your that's, question. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. question. They don't have half times. So they yeah. don't switch sides. They don't really. My hot take on Arthur was, and I love Arthur and I love the Weasleys. And I know he's a member of the ministry and he gets a little preferential treatment because he deserves it. Yeah. But. Amos Diggory wasn't in this box. He also worked for the ministry. Yeah. He's, you have Arthur sitting in a box with the Minister of Magic, mm-hmm. the head of sports and games who's running this event, Ludo mm-hmm. Bagman. Presumably, Barty Crouch was supposed to be there, and he's literally the international liaison for everybody. Yeah. You have the Bulgarian Minister of Magic in this box. Yeah. How, how did Arthur get in this box again? So, so one of the things that I I was kind of, uh, that's a good question. And where my mind goes to, to answer your question is Harry Potter. Yeah, that, that, yes, that would answer it. Cornelius Fudge, in the past, I feel has, has made moves to keep Harry close. And in, in Prisoner of Azkaban, he was doing that because Sirius Black was on the loose and they thought he was sure. going to try to kill him. So there is a, a valid reason to kind of keep him close. But And he I does show him know. off here. He does show him off to the Bulgarian That's, Minister of Magic. So I'm not, you know, he might... Harry's a very famous wizard. Sure. I think 
Fudge isn't malicious, but I think if Fudge sees an opportunity to... So you're saying he's using Harry to bolster his own political standing? I think so. It's fair. I'd buy that. I'll buy that. Yeah. Now, I don't know that that would, you know, there could be a million other reasons why Mr. No, I think that's a very valid reason. The association might have played a role. I'd buy that 100%. I do like how he, like I said, he uses him to kind of uh, get the attention of the Bulgarian Minister of Magic, which then means, and I don't think most people have actually really thought of this, because mm-hmm. this obviously this series takes place primarily in Britain, but Voldemort would then have been an international presence. Yes. Like, we think of it as a Britain thing. But clearly other ministers of magic and other ministries around the world were looking at Britain going, that might be a problem. (laughs) Like, that might head our way at some point. Yes. If it hadn't already for, you know, we don't really know the, we never really told the scope of the first Wizarding War. We are not. Um, So we don't know if there was international bits and pieces of this, but if the Bulgarian minister of magic is like, oh, Voldy, he got rid of Voldy. Yep. Oh. Uh, that's a very small detail that I find super fascinating. I yeah. don't know why. But... No, it, it paints a much... It, it's another small indicator that there's a much broader world than what we're getting. We're just getting what Harry is involved in, but there is much more dimension out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of mentioned the immense gold walls already. It seats 100,000 people to the stadium. 500 Ministry of Magic of, uh, officials worked on a worked for a year on it, which is impressive. Um, is a hundred thousand big or small for an event like this? Honestly, I think it's appropriate. Okay, that's um, fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's Goldilocks just right. Okay. Uh, no, I mean a hundred thousand for a World Cup final is pretty standard. Now there might be like. Like it says here, there's a whole lot more people there than what's in the stadium. That's a good point. That's also pretty accurate. Uh, but a 100,000-seat stadium, like... Uh, so we live in Chicago, and we were supposed to have the Olympics in 2016, right? Yeah. Well, we, we were in the running. We were in the running yeah. for it. But the knock on Chicago from the Olympic Committee was Soldier Field, our biggest stadium, yeah. sat like fifty to 60,000 people. And they looked at us, and they're like, that's not big enough. Yeah. Uh, it's not big enough to hold the opening and closing ceremonies. Yeah. you got to switch it, or you got to build a new stadium. And there was all sorts of rumors flying around about how we can get a new stadium. So that's a little similar. Okay, um, that's fair. See, so, I don't know why, to me, that feels... Small? Yeah, because they're like wizards, and they should be able to, like... <laughs> stack things better? I don't know. Like, they're not confined to the same... Better question is, shouldn't this be just like an apartment room that they magically no, enlarge? Right. Yeah. <laughs> to like... Well, no, like, that's what I mean, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Now, they can... that's a fascinating question that we can get into. <laughs> I never thought about that until you just asked it. I mean, 100,000 100, makes sense for our constraints of physics, but they don't really... You think Mr. Roberts has an issue with people camping on his site? Can you imagine people, like... <laughs> A hundred thousand plus just walking into what seems to be a four by four foot room. That would be awesome. And him just being like mind blown. Yeah, just. I kind of want that now. Oh man, I never thought about that. This is that. like the wizarding version of a clown car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Oh man. Anyway, 
I do like how they have a board with advertisements, like regular I sporting events. Yeah. And it's just like a script that just plays on the what looks like a blackboard. That was cute. Awesome. Uh, we meet Winky, who's a house elf, uh, who also happens to know who Dobby is. Yes. Um, which is interesting. Apparently Dobby is causing all kinds of waves in the house elf world. <laughs> I love it. Um, which I'm intrigued by how that happens. Is Dobby just going around to all these house elves recruiting them? Is he causing such a wave that he's in the Daily Prophet? Is he causing a wave? Do house elves have their own newspaper that they get with house elf news? That would be I'm a, not sure. That would be adorable. House elf Twitter? <laughs> no, I don't like I don't know how Dobby's getting so far like his reach is so far, but it's yeah, intriguing to me. That is interesting. I wonder Yeah, I wonder if other house elves are hearing about it from like their families that are discussing it, or maybe they do have some. Dobby seemed very isolated. You'd think, yeah. So mm-hmm. he's probably not a good example of what the average house elf. He was a well-connected house elf, though. I guess being in Lucius Malfoy's house, maybe he knows other house elves in other <laughs> prestigious houses, <laughs> and he's just going over. I don't know. Uh, He's I, just couch surfing. I just like the idea of Dobby being a malcontent and just kind of <laughs> going around causing problems in households. But yeah, she threatens, uh, like, oh, he could have problems with the Department for Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures. And uh, I, I do, chapter. I do like one interaction though with this where uh, Harry mistakes her for Dobby. Yeah, just based on like look, appearance, and voice, yeah. right? And then Ron and Hermione turn around and they're super excited to see if it's Dobby or not. And it's not. And Ron, I think, makes some comment about her. And Harry's like, no, no. Dobby was weirder. Like. Defiant. Like, like definitively. Yeah. Like, very. Like, there was little question to it. Yeah. Like, Hermione and Ron already think Winky's kind of off. You also see, like, Hermione starting to flare up about it's really rude that they sent you up here and they know you're afraid of heights and why do they even do that? And that's yeah. awful. And, and then Ron trips in with a funny comment and she snaps at Ron and it's like a whole thing. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about the mascots because we get a whole performance of the mascots here. Yes. And apparently each team brings creatures from their native land. So everybody was wondering what Bulgaria was going to bring. And Bulgaria brings 100 Vila. What are Vila? They are extraordinarily beautiful, I think it's fair to say, humanoid women mm-hmm. is what they're supposed to look like. Yeah. Captivating, entrancing, dangerous. Yeah. And we see a little bit of it later in the match when they get upset. And Arthur has this great line. Uh, Boys, this is why you should never go for looks alone. Wonderful. I love that line. Just A-plus wisdom. Oh, it's such good fatherly advice. It's wonderful. Uh, Because these beautiful, otherworldly attractive women turn into bird heads and wings? Yep. With, like, aggressive beaks is what they said. Throwing fire. Throwing fire, yes. So they, they perform. The Vila perform, right? And their perform is this dance that they do. And... All of the men immediately just go completely blank crazy. Yes. Uh, To the point where Ron and Harry are about to jump from their 
box seat at the top of the stadium. <laughs> People are literally trying to get onto the field to get close to them. Hermione is literally having to hold back Harry. It's an insane level. They even distracted the referee. I, I always thought that was funny. I like that the solution to the ref being entranced with these Vila is to have the Medi Wizard come <laughs> over and kick him in the shins. As hard as he possibly could. As hard could. as he could. Like there wasn't a there wasn't a more polished way of solving this. It was kicking him hard in the shin. I wish there was a real thing I can do in my current profession <laughs> that to fix the issue right. I get to kick someone. <laughs> like I could take out a lot of pent up aggression in my profession. Um, unfortunately that's not how this works. No. Fortunately or unfortunately. Um, I like how him trying to kick out the Vila caused like a little mini riot in the stadium from all of the men there. Like, no, don't get rid of the very attractive being. Um, yeah. How did the, it doesn't say, but I'm curious to know how the uh, Bulgarian Quidditch players react to the Vila. Are they desensitized to it? Do they or? wear earplugs? Because there's like, part of this is like singing. Too. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Do they like... I assume they're desensitized to it. I assume they've somehow trained with it so they can, like, avoid it. Yeah. But you bring up a point in that shouldn't they be, like, illegal at sporting events? Because if you're at a male sporting event and you have Vila as your mascot on the sideline, couldn't that ultimately distract the other team? Yeah. And I feel like the Irish do a great job because you don't hear anything about any other players getting distracted by it. That's a good point. Like, yeah, props to the Irish. Although I think there are a couple of female players. I think there, I think there are. I think there are a couple of female players for the yes. Irish, but, but still. still, it's not all of them. No. So kudos to the Irish. Maybe that's part of why they brought the Vila with, was to try to get an advantage that way. I think so. I think that's 100% the reason yeah. why they brought the Vila. Um, anyway, uh, speaking of the Irish and the resistance to Vila, they brought, I believe the number was 1,000? A thousand <laughs> leprechauns, um, which they describe as tiny little bearded men in red vests carrying a lamp of gold or green. And they come in and they essentially fly. They create the stereotypical rainbow yep. pots of gold at each end of the rainbow. And then they form like uh, shamrocks and different Irish themed things. And then as the game goes on and it gets a little more intense, they form what's <laughs> described as a rude hand gesture. What is I'm like? Oh wow! Oh, okay, <laughs> this this took a turn yeah. really aggressively. That's how you know this book is geared for slightly older readers. Yeah, and I remember reading this as a kid, and that did not remotely nope. factor in my head at all. And now I'm reading this as an adult, going, "Oh, I missed oh my. so many things." Yeah. as a kid, like I clearly read those words, but it never registered. Yeah, oddly, but now yeah yeah now you know. Um, I don't know. Do you have any big thoughts on the the Vila or the Leprechaun? Um, I have one, uh, but I'll... Well, I actually think I have two, but I want to save them for the spoilers. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Uh, Like I said, I have a ton on magical creatures in the World Cup. um, Perfect. For the spoilers, so we will get to those again in the spoilers. That'll fit right in. So we get a Narcissa intro as she joins Lucius and Draco in the box seat. Uh, Lucius insults Arthur uh, per per use. Yeah. Standard <laughs> standard interaction there. Uh, but that but that did make me think like how 
did Arthur get these seats? That's what made me yeah. think of it. Also, um, they're like, oh, how did Lucius get these seats? Yeah. And uh, I forget if it was Begman or Fudge, but they say that Lucius Fudge. donated a large amount to St. Mungo's. And I'm like, what's evil about that? What can I find that's with nothing? He donated a lot of money to a hospital. That seems pretty genuinely awesome, right? No, I can still find some evil in that. <laughs> Donating money to a hospital? I think that the the act of donating money to a hospital is good. I am You're on take, the record. Hot take right there. Um, I'm I'm not going to advocate against not donating or against donating money to a hospital. I think it's good to donate money to a hospital. I've donated money to a hospital. Jen says. Jen donate says. money to hospitals. Um, yes. No, but I I think the problem that I have with it is that it's not I don't think it's a selfless act. I think he did it in order to curry favor with the ministry because he is rich sure and can do it and and i because i feel like the implication in this chapter is he got the tickets because he donated a bunch of money sure. to st mungo uh-huh. and i feel like that's what makes it not selfless is i don't think he would have i don't think he would have donated the money to st mungo's if he wasn't going to get sure. something out of it i am not going to disagree with literally anything you said <laughs> there i think you're 100 percent correct Maybe. in your assessment um, my ultimate opinion is, regardless of intention, yeah. a lot of money went to a hospital, which they probably deserve and need and can use appropriately. So for whatever his purposes are, if his end result is just to get a good seat at a Quidditch match, end result, net positive <laughs> for, for me. I, I agree with you on that, but I'm going to put an asterisk to it because this time it was a benign thing that he got out of it, but it might not always be a benign thing that he Sure. Uh, again, you're not wrong. I'm just viewing this bubble. No, right, right. In this so. bubble, I completely agree with you. I see no problem with the situation. As part of a larger picture, I see a bunch of red flags. As you probably should. Red, orange, yellow, all of the rainbow colors that were just displayed in front of the Quidditch people. Um, speaking of playing the Ministry like a fiddle, uh, Fudge is an idiot, right? Fudge is, Fudge is just ridiculous so he's trying to mimic and mime everything for the bulgarian minister of magic because barty crouch is not there to in, translate uh, to translate yeah and first of all I, and i get uh barty crouch is a special individual to know between 150 and 200 languages yes i don't expect any human fiction <laughs> non-fiction yeah. whatever to know that many languages yeah Still, if you're the Minister of Magic, you should at least know enough of a couple of different languages to at least pass by. Especially if you know you're having the Irish and Bulgarians here. You should maybe know a little bit of Gaelic to impress them, and you should know a little bit of the Bulgarian language. Was there no one else in the Ministry of Magic who... Knew one of the two languages? Yeah. Right. I mean, the Irish obviously know English, but... Uh, it'd be nice if you like get it, greeted them in a Gaelic kind of manner, or, I agree. or Bulgarians in their native language. It'd be nice. Show respect for the cultures. You'd think. Yeah. Um, but uh, it do, that it is does, not the case. It does lead to one of my favorite scenes uh, in maybe this book, where we find out that the Bulgarian minister did speak English all along, and fudges. A bit indignant about it, but I absolutely love the line. Well, we thought it was funny. Like, that's... You go, Bulgarian minister. I, that's what I'm talking about. The Bulgarian minister of magic at least knows enough English to pass by. Okay, and, like, sidebar, 
he i think the bulgarian minister handled it very well but fudge was pretty uh rude when he thought that the bulgarian minister did not speak english 100 yes. percent. he mispronounced his name yep. and then gave up in the middle of trying to figure out what it was so even we don't have a clear view of what exactly his name was supposed to be also even if you don't speak English, you could understand that someone's trying to pronounce your name right. and getting it right or wrong. Right. <laughs> like That should be a giveaway. Um, but yeah, he made a couple snide comments I thought was kind of rude. I was like, 100%, you know, yeah. that's not very becoming of the Minister of Magic. Agreed. Um, Fajin's an idiot. That's our... Yes. That's our <laughs> takeaway. So anyway, we do have this thing called the Quidditch World Cup. Oh, uh, yeah, there is the game. So we get the Bulgarian and the Ireland lineups. I'm going to do my best. Dimitrioff, Ivanov, Zolgrov, Zevsky, Volkanov, Volkov, and Krum. I think I did well. Well done. Thank well you. Well done. Krum, they describe as thin, dark, sallow-skinned, hooked nose, thin black eyebrows, and Harry said he looked like a bird of prey. On the Which is fascinating because bird of prey makes me think, like, thin, slender, can cut through the air. Yeah. The again, the movie version is more of your stereotypical quote unquote athletic build, like big, stocky, thick, okay. which you wouldn't think would be good on a bro, unless you're a beater, I guess, hitting something. Okay, that's fair. I I kind of pictured him the way that they did in the movie, but I think that's only because I fell into the stereotypical athlete athlete build in my mind like reading this description i was like that makes sense and i and i literally pictured a hawk in my head yeah um what's with the bird analogies because she also mentions later on that he's duck-footed yeah which is like probably not related but it's just weird to me that there are multiple very bird-like ways to describe him that is weird uh clearly unathletic on the ground very athletic in the sky um, Ireland's team, Connolly, Ryan, Troy, Mullet, Morin, Moran, sorry, ooh. Uh, <laughs> Mullet, Moran, Quigley, and Lynch. You loved the easy one. I know. Uh, you I made just, it through Bulgaria. Then... I know, right? Oh, and I'm part Irish, I should know that. <laughs> uh, my bad. Anyway, so um, the match gets off to a hot start. Uh, Ireland just keeps putting in goal after goal after goal. And then finally, uh, Crum has his moment in the Ronsky faint of it all and just tries to duke or uh, deke out the uh, Irish seeker Lynch, uh, which works. Lynch runs headlong straight into the ground, which, my goodness, that's got to like, that's got to mess you up, right? Oh, God, yeah. That's really got to mess you up. He sounds like he makes it out of the first one okay. Not great. Well, but she doesn't describe any changes to his behavior, and it doesn't seem to indicate that he's having problems because he's still able to uh, perform afterwards. Right. It says trained meta wizards rushed onto the field, which is literally my profession. This is my profession translating to the wizarding world. Yes. Trained meta wizards rush onto the field and give him like several different potions. Okay. To get him back and going, yeah, fascinates me. Yeah. Um, but I can't imagine. Like I'm imagining Harry when he fell off his broom, broke his arm, except like ten times worse because he was. This wasn't falling off your broom. This was yeah speeding towards the ground. Yeah, and 
colliding. Yeah. Um, I imagine it was ten times worse, but uh, what have you. So, and you get Harry watching this through his omnioculars, trying to watch the slow motion so he could see what's even going on. He notices that the Irish are flying his broom, the firebolt. Uh, misses the first goal because it's slow motion and the things are happening real speed. So he's yeah. like two plays behind, yeah. which is great. But I do love the idea of the omnioculars. How, how do you... Oh, my God. I, I don't know what I like about it more. I really... I, I think I actually do. I really <laughs> like the ability that um, you can like slow it down or speed it back up to be able to see things. I think that's a really cool ability. But... I would kill for something that had the ability to display what, if I'm watching hockey, what formation they're taking mm. and what it's called That's, and what it yeah. does. Um, or for baseball, maybe a little bit more insight into different uh, the ways that they're you know set up defensively in the outfield or like the you want to almost stat cast performance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would love something that's more technical for that reason. That or is like, the most you answer you've given on this podcast oh, yet. yes. <laughs> I've done it. I want the what and I want the why. Yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that. I also like the replay feature on demand. The replay's very cool. I don't want to knock the replay. Like that's, Slow that motion would be, replay would be super would be, awesome. Yeah. yeah. But I think my biggest thing out of it would be the technical information. Uh, so Lynch gets up. Um, Ireland just puts more and more and more on it. And we get to the point where it's 170 to 10. And this does not look very good for Bulgaria. It's no. getting out of your capabilities very quickly. Yeah. Uh, the And it's getting brutally violent, and beaters are just taking swings at Irish chasers because they can't stop them any other way. Before we get to, to the actual conclusion of this match, mm-hmm. I just want to say, this match, I would be so overwhelmed at. Because... Especially in the beginning when they talk about all of the noise that's coming in. Yeah. Where you've got the Vila singing and dancing or doing whatever. Yes. You've got the leprechauns doing whatever. You've got people cheering. But then also you've got things as simple as like the little rosette on Harry's chest that just keeps screaming names out of it. Yeah. So it's like that. But then like they're probably all out of sync. So you've probably got like a bunch of people all with these like... It's like a sensory overload kind of thing. Yeah, that are just chanting like discordant things. Not to mention the actual match that's just blurs above you. And, you know, the ability to change the omnioculars. I I would be so overwhelmed with this. It would be overwhelming. It would be very overwhelming. I'm assuming most of these people are conditioned to the chaos? Yeah. Conditioned chaos. Conditioned chaos. Yeah. Um, But yes, for us, it would be a lot to take in. It would be too much. Um, and can you imagine being on a lower level seat, having to look up <laughs> at all this with all that input? Like you would get dizzy. You'd get oh, uh, uh, it would be it'd My be a neck. lot. Yeah. yeah, it'd be a lot. Uh, Crumb is sitting up there on his broom, going, "It's 170 to 10, and we'd look like we are no closer to making this any kind of competition." So, just gonna <laughs> go ahead and end this thing now. Uh, goes into another dive, gets the snitch. Final score, Ireland 170, Bulgaria 160. Uh, Lynch tried to go for it again when he saw Crum. Bless him, Lynch tried. Uh, couldn't get there again. Smokes into the ground again. Uh, and then gets trampled by a horde of Vila. Which are, again, at this point, not the beautiful, glamorous women Vila. Now they're the shrieking bird-winged 
flame-throwing Vila right. that he just got trampled by, which is uh, just a terrible fate. Uh, he's severely concussed. Minimally, yes. Yeah, there's 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 <laughs> a lot going on there. But yes. yes, concussion for sure. Yes. Like, that was the thing that stuck out to me the most in rereading this, and I also naturally thought of you, of he would not pass the concussion protocol. 100%. At all. His eyes... For for from the time he hits the ground until they go up to the to the box to get the trophy and then they're taking a lap around the thing around the field and he has to ride on the back of someone's holding them holding them because he can't on the stand lap his own because his eyes are still on focus. If you're here, I'm mm-hmm. not a medical professional. Mm-hmm. If you're that unaware of the situation for yes. an extended period of time, that's a problem. Should you even be up in the air at that right. point? Right, <laughs> like yeah. you need to be. At St. Mungo's. Yes. When now they have the funding for it. So. <laughs> right, exactly. My question would be, I'm assuming he had a concussion the first time he landed. But what's interesting, I, I don't disagree with you, but what's interesting is that, so did they just heal it the first time? and then they That's just, what I'm saying. But then why didn't they heal it the second they time? They didn't allow him to. They got, they got people away from him because they wanted to celebrate with him. So they kept people away, didn't they? He doesn't know where he is right now. Uh, yeah, that's correct. I feel like that's not, like, okay. Because Crumb did the same thing, too. Because Crumb had, like, a cut. He was bleeding everywhere. Because he got smoked in the face with a bludgeon. Yeah, or, well, yeah with a bludgeon. And he broke his nose. And he broke his nose, blood everywhere. And he, uh, I take that back. He kept people away. He didn't right. want people near him. That also is something where... that That is a fine line for me of... You should be able to consent to medical treatment, but also if you're in the right mindset. And typically, if you're getting nailed in the face with a ball, you might be a little bit concussed. Like, you might also not be in your right mind state. And then it turns into, like, yeah. a can he actually consent to not get medical treatment because he's. I'm sure Crumb got medical treatment after the fact when yeah. he was outside of the public eye, I'm assuming. Better late than never. Yeah. At least he seems to know where he is. I'll give him that. Yeah. Lynch is not. No, but to your point, I wonder if they're able to give him a potion that can heal a concussion. Because if that's the case, give me that. Yeah. (laughs) That would be fascinating. You desperately want that for your students. Yeah, for students, for me, (laughs) for for all kinds of things. It'd be great. I don't, that's a good question, though. I don't know if they said that they intentionally kept him away from the medieval. No, I think that was crumb. Okay. Crumb kept... They didn't say anything about Lynch. Well, then why did... Then shame on those many wizards for not... To be fair, they had to get to him first. Because they had to get through the Vila. They had to get through the Leprechauns. They had to, they had to fight their way there just to get there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they had their work cut out for him. So then... So after this is going on, and then uh, the match has ended... Mm-hmm. Or did we... We got to that, right? Yeah, the match has ended... ended. Ireland is one. Everyone is shocked. Yep. And then uh, Ludo Bagman set, calls Bulgaria gallant losers. Why would he say that? I, I, I don't I just, know. That to, that to me... I think he thought it was a compliment. Yeah. I think maybe in his mind it was a compliment. But it wasn't gallant actually Gallant effort compliment. by the yeah. losing side. That was something... Better. <laughs> that was something that, that kind of stuck out to me of like... I don't know how much sports J.K. Rowling has watched in her life or well this like, was... I thought she did a decent job describing things up until that point but then when I read that I was like that seems harsh and also just not how at least US sports commentators like I address that. she did 
a great job with this because yeah. I know she has not liked or enjoyed writing Quidditch scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like she went all out for this one and did a pretty good job. Like, I felt the excitement going yeah. back and forth. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe she's just writing it from a uh, UK style of yeah. a little bit of sting maybe, in the words. Maybe they're more direct. I, I haven't watched maybe. a lot of UK sports, to be fair. We will be back with our spoiler section. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some magical creatures and uh, the Quidditch World Cup. Uh, so we'll have some fun facts for you. Um, I also want to uh, talk about uh, an Arthur Weasley quote when we get started, just because Arthur has some gems in this. So we'll be right back. Till the all right, so we are back for the spoiler section, and uh, I just want to start off with one of the Arthur quotes that I had forgotten about on our non-spoiler, when he's talking about the protections for the stadium, and how when every one of the muggles that comes near it, suddenly he remembers that they have an appointment or have something to do somewhere else or whatever, and then he drops the bless them line, and I'm like, wow, he hit him with a bless them line. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, Arthur. Arthur it's so quotes. cute how much he loves muggles. It's adorable. Just Arthur is the best. He is. Arthur's the best. I love Arthur. Uh, do you have anything specifically for the spoilers before I jump into my magical creatures? Three quick things. Sure. Um, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting was I felt a little bit bad for Ron in this chapter just because he thinks that he, he gets this gold that the leprechauns are dropping. He thinks he pays off Harry for the omnioculars, and then we find out later on, gold leprechaun gold disappears. So he actually didn't. Um, it's a cruel, cruel trick. But you think somebody in the state, like, they all go for that trick. Yeah. I'm, that's he, what he's I not was, the only one. <laughs> that's what I was most surprised at, was that when they later on, when they find out that out later on, that there wasn't more of some sort of acknowledgement from the mass of people that were there, did no one know that that was a thing? Did everyone just not care? Clearly we're learning that zoology is a very <laughs> understudied yeah. subject. Apparently. Um, the other thing being, uh, I, I know you mentioned on the on the non-spoiler section that you described the Vilas as, as somewhat humanoid. Yeah. Uh, we know that they at least can mate with humans. Yes. Um, so they have to be somewhat close to that because when you said that, that made me think about floor. So I wonder then how that works, too, if she can get all, like, shrieky, beak-like, or if she just enjoys the having this uh, air about her. Of if that's true, it would be kind of interesting, because Fleur and Bill would then be a little bit of messing with a different species a little bit, with the werewolf bit of Bill oh. and Fleur with the, the Vila blood. It's going to be an interesting... Kid? Yeah. <laughs> Quarter werewolf, quarter Vila, half human. Uh, Victory? Victory was their kid? I don't remember the name. It's like Victory, but like spelled French. So it's like B-I-C-T-O-I-R-E or something like that. Yeah. So that's also interesting because Fleur is French, but then her is her grandmother Bulgarian? Or then are Vila's... I think Vila's are in other places. Okay, so this isn't yeah. just so happy because leprechauns are very heavily associated with Ireland. Hundred percent. So, but Vila's maybe not so much. Yeah, Bulgarian. I think they. I, I can't remember if Arthur said in this chapter that he was expecting something else coming from Bulgaria. Okay. 
and they chose the Vila. Okay. Which makes you think, back to your point, that they chose them for a reason. Little intentional. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, and then the only other thing that I thought of was uh, with Lucius Malfoy and the donation to St. Mungo. We find out when he is at the ministry in book five uh, that doesn't, isn't, I believe that there's a scene where, where Lucius Malfoy's talking to, I don't remember if it's Fudge or if it's someone else, but he mentions his donations, he mentions his money. He has a, he has a, a, a huge bag of money on his hip or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and the implication there is that he is making these donations to Curry favor. Sure. So that kind of played into my thinking that his oh, no. donation to St. Mungo's was not benevolent because we know later on that he does play this yeah. to manipulate people. And 100% I agree with you. I think that is a way of him... That's his version of diplomacy. <laughs> it, right, it, it's right. like a whole Game of Thrones moment. It's like, I'll do this for you, yep. but you gotta do this. Yeah. My only point was that, yes, it, it does well for Lucius to do that. Yeah. It probably also is well for the person in the hospital bed that gets that no, whatever right, treatment. Right. He's an interesting dude. Yeah. That's all I had. So I did some research on um, more quote unquote recent World Cups. Uh, this one is the 422nd World Cup. The one I have the information on here is the 427th World Ooh, Cup. Okay. So some some time has passed here. This one takes place in 2014. So every four years they have a World Cup? That would make sense. Nice. Yeah, this one takes place in 2014. The World Cup that we're covering here in this chapter takes place roughly 20 years prior. 1994, 1995, somewhere in that range. 94 if we're going to go with the... Every four years yeah. thing. So some time has passed, and it's interesting, when JK put this up on Wizarding World, which you can find most of this on Wizarding World, um, she wrote this article as if it was from the Daily Prophet's point of view. Specifically, Daily Prophet's Quidditch correspondent, Ginny Potter. Aww. So she's reporting on the 427th Quidditch World Cup, and this section that I'm going to talk about now, uh, I'll save the the Quidditch part of it for the next week because <laughs> okay. we're running long already. Uh, but it was held in Argentina uh, and they decided to have a mascot themed opening ceremony. Oh, neat. So not just having mascots do their performances for the final. They wanted a whole opening ceremony of it. And as we just went over with the leprechauns and the villa, this could go horribly wrong. Yes. Stunningly, this went horribly wrong. No. Yes. Shock S- yeah. Pikachu. <laughs> so, thank you for the Pikachu reference. So, um, they had to build an impressive ornamental lake in the middle of the Patagonian desert because the team from Fiji wanted to bring its mascot, I'm going to try to pronounce this, the Dukuwaka. Ooh, okay. Uh, And it's a shark that can shapeshift into a man. Cool. But it has to be in, uh, like, a water setting. So there's that. So they brought that. Some other uh, things that showed up, Ivory Coast brought River Genies, which just seems super cool. That sounds awesome. Yes. What are some other ones? Nigerian Sasabonsons, which are vampiric, spindle-legged creatures. Hmm. Um, I'll get into some of the other ones as we get into the, the whole issue. But the Fijian team brought their Dukawaka, shark, man, shapeshifter. 
Norway brought a gigantic lake serpent called a Selma, which I think was featured in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. If I'm not mistaken. But it's a giant lake serpent called a Selma. And they both need water. Uh, the Ministry of Magic in Argentina thought that the Norwegians were going to bring their usual, quote-unquote, troop of performing trolls. Oh, boy. Instead. Instead, they bring this lake serpent. So oh. it requires water, too. Duke Waka lives in warm ocean water. Selma lives in icy fresh water. So they end up putting them both in the same container, the same lake. That sounds like a bad idea. Which was more of a brackish water, so salty, but still a lot of fresh water mixed together. Well, the, the whole problem is the Duke Waka is a shapeshifter that can turn from shark to man. The serpent devours human flesh and fish. So if one is a shark that turns into a man, the other one eats fish and man, and you just put them in the same lake, problems. Uh, quote, a bloodbath is precisely what occurred. <laughs> uh, Fijian and Norwegian handlers plunged into the icy cold waters, or into the seizing waters, um, to get their respective mascots. This was a problem because the Brazilian mascot is a Churupira? C-U-R-U-P-I-R-A-S. Churupiras. Red-haired, forest-dwelling dwarves whose feet point backwards and who protect fellow creatures whom they feel are under threat from humanity. Well, you have two creatures in a lake, yeah. and you just had a bunch of wizards dive in there, and now you have this other creature who's there who's protecting... So they got involved. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I mentioned the Nigerian Sasbonsums, vampiric spindle-legged creatures, became crazed at all of the blood that was then in the water. That was a problem. And then, the most interesting one, Haiti. Take a guess on what Haiti brought to this equation. I, I don't even know where to begin. There are apparently rumors as to what they would bring. Okay. And those rumors were found to be true. They brought Inferi. Oh, God. They brought Inferi. That's bad. If you're, I know this is the spoiler section. If you're not aware of what Inferi are, oh. they show up in book six when Harry goes with Dumbledore into the yep. cavern lake. To get a Horcrux that Voldy has protected there. And how has he protected them? Not only with a potion, but with a literal lake of dead bodies. Yes. And Inferi are dead bodies that have been re, like, uh, reanimated. Yes. That's the word. Reanimated. Well, Haiti brought them as their team mascot. But aren't they frowned upon in the wizard community? 100%. When they go, to, when they get to book six, and they're warning people of the signs of Voldemort's return, they drop pamphlets of like things to know and ways to protect yourself from inferior. Yes, it's a dark, evil thing. Yes, yes. It's not like a light mascot. That's no intense. Yes, very much so. Borderline illegal. Well, guess what? The crowd stampeded <laughs> as Inferi moved freely through the stadium, attempting to capture and devour anyone who tripped. Perfect. You had a full-on zombie movie breakout. Um, yeah. Oh Which leads to questions. Uh, a motion had been proposed that only herbivores and creatures smaller than a cow be allowed to be mascots. Aww. Um, nothing they, that breathes fire either. They would be such cute mascots. Leprechauns, still cool. Yeah. However, that was defeated by an overwhelming majority in 1995. So right around our, yeah. our mascot thing. Uh, because the wizarding community as a whole 
opposed any meddling with what they see as a traditional colorful part of the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, a record crowd had been reported for this World Cup. 10,000 port keys were used to get them to the heart of the Patagonian desert. Wow. Yeah. So we had 200 spread out through Britain. This is 10,000. Granted, it's probably throughout the world, but 10,000 is a lot. So yeah, I'm not going to belabor the whole... Uh, we'll get into more of the Quidditch World Cup because there's a bunch of really cool information um, about the Quidditch World Cup. But you can see, I just love the different cultures involved. You have Argentina and Norway and Haiti and Ivory Coast. And it's like a bunch of different aspects of different cultures having their their little touch on the Wizarding World, which is super cool. Yeah. I don't know. I threw a lot at you. Did anything jump out at you from there other than the Inferi, which is just absurd? No, yeah. That was the, that was the thing that had the most, uh, most impact, I would say. That's an interesting... That's a choice. As the kids say today, that's a choice. But all of these are... Like, I feel like we've seen some of these, except not nearly as dangerous, in Lupin's classroom last year. Like, the Red Caps and Hinky Punks are one thing. Yeah. And they're dangerous. But here we got, like, a shark man, a large giant serpent. Well, I think the problem was... I mean, like, yes, the mascots are extreme... I think the bigger problem was that they for some like the number one rule of taking care of animals is you don't put them in spaces that conflict with other animals because yes. animals are very territorial 100 percent. so maybe combining two water-based creatures that have the propensity to eat and attack each other and also just have different requirements like first of all they probably should have died when they got put into the water because it's not what their water what they want the water to be but then second you put them in it's like any animal in too small of a space will start to lash out i'm so glad you said that because i have two quotes here that jenny potter quoted Ooh, okay uh, quote, we, uh, we are not aware that any study has ever been undertaken into the compatibility of Dukuwakas and Selmas, so the Council of uh, Magic cannot accept liability for the unfortunate consequences of placing the two in close proximity. This is, this is animal care number one. What? What are they talking about? Uh, I love this. You're setting me up so well. Speaking exclusively to the Daily Prophet, Chief Consulting Magizoologist Rolf Scamander disagreed. The Dukawaka lives in a warm ocean, the Selma in an icy freshwater lake. The former is a shapeshifter that can transform from fish to man. The latter is a serpent that devours human flesh and fish. You would need brains of a billywig not to foresee an immediate bloodbath if both were crammed tightly together in tepid brackish water. Thank you, Rolf. Yes, so... Someone with sense. Well, he's a descendant of... uh, I, I believe he's the grandson of Newt's commander, so... I think you're right. Um, well, I'm glad that the yeah. commanders have some sense because that, to me, is the most obvious thing in the world. If your plan is to have opening ceremonies featuring native creatures yes. that other countries bring to you, wouldn't you have like an army of like? Wouldn't you contact Rolf and be like, "Hey, can you set up like a whole division of prep for this?" Yes. This is what, and have the countries formally submit weeks in advance yeah. what they're going to oh. bring. And then set up appropriately. This is the kind of thing that requires, like, years of planning, like, logistics and planning and and all different... I, I Like, the number of people that should have been involved in this decision to make sure that these things weren't in... 
at, had the approach, even if, oh, I'm just talking over myself, even if they weren't in the same space, which they were and they shouldn't have been because people should have had some sort of sense, they still needed to, they have completely different water requirements. Even if, it, even if they weren't put in a too small of a place to where they were attacking each other, it still would have been unhealthy for the mascots to be in an environment that's not suited to their living standards. So you have problems on multiple levels. Yep. Amazing, isn't it? But Incredible. I feel it's, well, I, it makes me feel good that it's just not our Ministry of Magic in Britain that seems to just screw up everything. <laughs> yes. Other countries can have screwed up Ministries of Magic too. Yes. And we'll end it there. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll move on to the next chapter next week, uh, which is the Dark Mark. Uh, that's not foreboding at all. No. And not a tone shifter. Not a tone shifter at all. I'll have some more World Cup fun facts for us. Jen will be returning. So we will see you next week for the Dark Mark. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.